Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. So as you know, a lot of the topics I cover here are based around old-fashioned skills, and a lot of them are really practical, nitty-gritty, tutorial type of things. But today, I want to talk about an old-fashioned skill, or maybe an old-fashioned concept, rather, that's just as important as learning how to can tomatoes or baking sourdough bread or keeping chickens. And this one, I think, has the potential to impact us even more than those things and is just as important, but it often kind of gets pushed to the wayside, especially in our very technology-based culture. And that topic is, how can we build community? That's a really old-fashioned concept that's really kind of hard to grasp these days in our worlds of text messages and Facebook accounts and screens that keep us separated from each other. So I am thrilled to have one of the leading voices on the topic of relationships. I'm sure you know who he is, Dr. Gary Chapman. He is an author, speaker, pastor, and counselor who has a passion for people and for helping them form long-lasting relationships. The Five Love Languages I've read that years ago, I'm sure you have too, is one of Chapman's most popular titles, topping various bestseller charts for years, selling over 20 million copies, and has been on the New York Times bestsellers list continuously since 2007. Dr. Chapman has been directly involved in real-life family counseling for 40 years, and his nationally syndicated radio programs air nationally on Moody Radio Network and over 400 affiliate stations. So what a bio. Welcome, Dr. Chapman. (laughs) Well, thank you, Jill. It's good to be with you today. Yeah. So I don't know if you've ever been on a a homesteading-themed podcast before. I know you've done tons of interviews, but I really do believe this is an old-fashioned skill that we really need to bring back into trend, if you will, because it's something we're, we're missing as a culture. Well, I think you're exactly right, Jill. You know, I think everybody pretty much agrees that one of our deepest emotional needs is the need to feel loved by the significant people in your lives. A child feels loved by the parents, the child grows up emotionally healthy. If they do not feel loved, they grow up with many internal emotional struggles. And in the teenage years, will likely go looking for love in the wrong places. But I think adults also, we have the same need. And if you're married, the person would most like to love you is your spouse. Yeah, but any close friend, uh, this need for love and community, you know, it's a broader word for that, but it's, it's essentially the same thing. We, we want to feel connected and that people genuinely care about us and value us. Absolutely. And I know you've been speaking on this topic of relationships uh, for many, many years. Have you seen a shift in just the people you work with and you speak to as we have become more technology centered? I think so, because I think we're so obsessed with technology that we often don't make time to build person-to-person relationships. And, of course, with some people still working at home, we can get the job done, you know, but you miss that daily opportunity at break times to talk to each other and find out what's going on in each other's lives. So I think, yeah, I think think we are more isolated. And with that has come a greater sense of loneliness as well. As we know, it's pretty much a pandemic now, loneliness. Yes. And so... Uh, I think uh, whatever we can do to make time to build relationships and share life with each other, it's for our own health. Absolutely. 
And I think that at least in the people I talk to, I think that loneliness is such a huge issue, which is so ironic because we have more friends on Facebook than ever before. And we can connect with people across the the oceans, uh, across the world. But people are feeling very isolated even before COVID. And that really exacerbated it. But that's not gone away even as the pandemic has waned. Um, But one thing that I hear from people over and over as I share our own stories here in Wyoming, we've been cultivating community in a very small rural town and having all the ups and downs of what that looks like. And people will watch what we're doing and listen to me tell stories. And then they say, I can't do that where I live. I don't get along with the people in my neighborhood. They don't like me. We've had rifts. We've had falling outs. And so I feel like for that reason, because it's hard, it's messy to be with people. Sometimes it's messy to be in relationship. And I think that's why we gravitate towards those screens is because it's safer. I know I've done that. I've been guilty of, uh, I'll just text this person instead of calling them because it's not as uncomfortable. But I'd love today to get some of your strategies for um, not only creating that community, but how do we get through those rocky times when we disagree with someone or we have those conflicts, how can we navigate that and not just completely fracture apart? Um, because I, I know when we come together as humans, we're always going to have disagreements and, and struggles. So I'd love to get your strategies for some of those things. And maybe to start, can you just kind of briefly remind us of the five love languages? I'm sure almost everyone listening is familiar and how they might play a role in building community and creating relationships. Yeah, I think they do play a role, but I think if a relationship has been broken or fractured, there's been something that happened and then we just withdrew from each other, the first step is for somebody to apologize. And incidentally, usually we each think the other person's the one that needs to apologize first. But chances are both of us have something to apologize for. And it doesn't matter who starts it, but I do think if we reach out and seek to apologize, and let them know that we value our relationship and we do we do not want it to be fractured and, and ask their forgiveness. That opens the door for the possibility of moving forward. Uh, the five love languages uh, then become extremely effective in building or rebuilding a relationship. One of them is words of affirmation, just looking for things about the other person that you can genuinely appreciate. And even if you've had a lot of falling outs, there's probably still one or two or three things you could you could express value uh, in them. So you look for those things and you express them. Uh, another is acts of service. It's doing something to help the other person uh, that they that they would like for you to do. Uh, you know, in marriage, that's cooking and washing dishes and vacuuming floors and walking dogs and washing cars and mowing grass and changing the baby's diaper and <laughs> all those kind of things. In a community. It's, it's more like if you hear somebody has a problem and you show up to see what you can do to help, you know, so it's acts of service. There's an old saying, actions speak louder than words. And this, if this is their love language, it's certainly true. It may not be true for everyone, but for some people, it is true. And then there's gifts. It's universal to give gifts as an expression of love. The gift says they were thinking about me. Look, look what they got for me, you know. To say, I was downtown today and I, I thought about you and I remember you told me you really like da 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 da. So I, I, I got this for you. You know, I, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, it doesn't have to be anything expensive, it's anything, but yes. And then there's quality time, giving the other person your undivided attention. Uh, I don't mean sitting on the couch watching television with somebody because someone else has your attention. TV is off, computer's down, we're not answering our phone. We're listening to each other, sharing our thoughts, our feelings, our desires uh, with each other. 
Or you don't have to be talking. You could be just doing a project together, something that they would like to be done, and you're giving your full attention with them to do something they would like to get done. Quality time. And then physical touch. I should say affirming physical touch, because we hear a lot today about uh, physical abuse, mm-hmm. uh, which is too true. And uh, uh, that's never, never going to help any relationship. But affirming touches, you know, pats on the back, high fives, and depending on the relationship, if it's a marriage, it's, you know, the kissing, the hugging, the touching, tender touching, and so forth. So the basic idea is that out of those five, we each have a primary love language. That is, one of the five speaks more deeply to us than the other four. And in a marriage, almost never does a husband and wife have the same language. Yeah. And by nature, we speak our own language. Sure. So if words makes us feel affirmed, we will affirm them with words. But if acts of service is their language, they're going to say somewhere along the line, you know, you keep on saying, I love you, I love you, but why don't you help me? Right. <laughs> and they're telling you, acts of service in my love language. So uh, in, a, in a marriage, we have to learn each other's language and then choose to speak it. And the same principle is true with children or any close relationship. Yes, such good stuff. Um, so I've, I've thought a lot about the love languages of my husband and my kids, but I was thinking with the people in my community that I might not be necessarily best friends with, I'm just in association with, How? what are some ways we can kind of figure out what uh, those type of people, how, what their love language might be? Well, if you have, if you have some interaction with them, uh, you can observe their behavior. How do they respond to other people? Because they probably are speaking to others their own language. Okay. So if you know them, for example, as a person that's always giving gifts, uh, then probably that's their language. Or if you know them as a person that's always uh, trying to pitch in and help people, uh, they're, they're the first one to get there if there's something going on in the community. Uh, acts of service is probably their language because we tend to speak our own language. So observing their behavior. I think also, if you have uh, any contact with them, if they ever request anything of you, uh, if they ever say, you know, I understand that you're going to New York, uh, would you possibly have time to, and they ask you to get something specific for them, they're asking you for a gift. But if you if you have several of these things they request, they fall into a category. And then a third way is also to uh, listen to what they complain about, if, if indeed you hear complaints from coming from them, because the complaint reveals the love language. Uh, and so, you know, a, a six-year-old said to his mother some time ago, we don't ever go to the park anymore since the baby came. He used to have her full attention at the park. Now the baby's here. He's complaining. Yes. But he's also telling her his, his love language. So those are three informal ways to, to find out, you know, what a person's language is. If it's in a small group, and you're trying to develop relationships, you can go online to fivelovelanguages.com and take the free quiz. There's a quiz for married couples. There's a quiz for single adults. There's a quiz for teenagers. They're all free. And uh, if everybody on the group would take the quiz, they could come back and share with the the group, you know, now now we would really know, you know, what their language is. That's awesome. I love that there's a quiz. Okay. I remember when I was a kid, my mom, I think that was there, there's a quiz in the book too, right? Or like a, a series of questions. I remember my mom asking me as a little, a smaller person. And then I remember doing it with my kids, my husband. So it's so cool that that book has such long lasting legacy. Yeah. Okay. Good, good suggestions. I wouldn't have thought to think about what they're complaining about, but that makes total sense. Yeah. And, you know, there's a whole series of books, as you know, there's the original book for married couples. There's one for single adults. There's one for military couples. Uh, how do you speak these languages when you're deployed? 
There's one for people who have special needs children, how that works with them. And there's one called the Five Love Languages of Children, and then the Five Love Languages of Teenagers, helping parents effectively love the, the children. I, I say to parents, you know, the question is not, do we love our children? The question is, do they feel loved? Yeah, right. You know, and and this, is, this is very helpful in that context. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's so simple, but so, so profound. And it just, it just works. Yeah. Hey, everyone, I wanted to interrupt this episode for just a second to talk about my latest obsession, and that is beef tallow, believe it or not. Um, So I've been using tallow to cook with for quite a few years. But in the last couple of years, I've started using it on my skin. And I kind of fell in love with it all over again. So prior to my beef tallow renaissance, I was using all the fancy like skincare products that they tell you you have to have. You know, you got the eye creams and the serums and the tighteners and the toners and all these fancy things. And then I decided to maybe rethink that and take a little bit more of an old-fashioned approach. And I asked myself, what would our ancestors have used before we had all these marketers telling us we had to use all these fancy, expensive things? And that kind of took me down this road towards animal fats. Because not only are they super sustainable, but they just make sense since they match the composition of our skin. And I can personally attest that my skin absolutely loves it. Like it's never been happier. Um, I get comments on my skin all the time. I actually had my makeup done recently by a professional. Um, and as she was doing my makeup, she kept commenting. She's like, your skin is so happy and it's so well moisturized. Like, what are you doing? And I was like, um, beef tallow. She was not expecting me to say that, but it was pretty cool that she said, you know, normally I see people from dry climates like you and their skin is just really thirsty and yours is just the opposite. It's really happy. Um, so it's pretty cool that beef tallow, this old fashioned solution can work so very well and keep our skin super happy and healthy without a bunch of added chemicals and seed oils. And my very favorite place to get all of my beef tallow skincare products is Tubes & Co. Um, they are a small homestead family who recognize this need for skincare products and makeup that didn't have all the junky, toxic ingredients in them. And they stepped up and they have taken off in recent years just because their products are so amazing. So right now I'm wearing Tubes & Co. mascara and Tubes & Co. tinted tallow lip balm. And I have tallow on as a moisturizer. And I absolutely love not only their company, but their products just because they have real recognizable ingredients. Um, and they work really, really well. They're a high quality product. It's a great experience using them. And my skin has never been happier. So I'm thrilled to have a coupon code for Tubes and Co for you today. If you type in the code homestead, uh, when you check out over on their website, you'll save 15% on your order. And if you'd like to go shopping, just head on over to theprairiehomestead.com slash makeup, and you can see all they have to offer, not just the tallow products, but they also have all those makeups. They have deodorants, um, cleansers, and things like that. So I can't wait for you to rethink your skincare in an old-fashioned way. And I think it's a wonderful place where we can really embrace this idea of looking to the past to move forward. So check it on out. Tubes and Co. over at theprairiehomestead.com slash makeup. Now back to our episode. So what would your advice be, you know, for building bridges with people we don't agree with? Because I, I feel like right now, and I spend a lot of time online, which probably 
makes me a little bit um, skewed on watching everyone fight all the time. But I'm like, oh my gosh, the world feels so polarized. And sometimes that bleeds into our local community. Even I live in a tiny town and there's, you know, I don't like this person because they believe differently or they voted differently. And sometimes it just gets exhausting. I'm like, guys, we're really not that different. Like, can we just get along? How, how can we build bridges with someone that we might perceive to be on the other side? Yeah, I think that's a great question in today's world. You know, a lot has to do with fundamental belief systems. If I believe, for example, that every human being is valuable, which I do believe because from my, my worldview is they're made in God's image and they're extremely valuable. And so if I have that, that belief, then I want to treat them as a valuable person, even if they disagree with me. And so I think our fundamental view of humanity will help us uh, make the, the best decision in terms of reaching out to people. Having said that, I think one of the best ways to build bridges is to ask questions and listen to the other person. I don't mean arguing. Maybe they are way over here and you're way over here. But if they're sharing something that they're passionate about and it's totally different from what you think, to just to say to them, yeah, explain that to me. How what led you to that to that conclusion? Because a lot of people have that conclusion. So what what led you to that conclusion? And then they start telling you, you know, where they're coming from and what the thought process was. And and keep asking questions, try to get them to clarify. You're not asking questions so you can shoot them back and, and you know, put down their ideas. You're asking questions to try to find out what is the process that brought them to where they are. And, and, then, and then eventually you can honestly say to them, you know, I can see now, uh, you know, why, why you would come to that conclusion. And I can see how that makes sense. I have a totally different perspective, you know, but I can see how, how you would come to that conclusion. Well, now you're not an enemy. You're not fighting them. Uh, and chances are they may say, well, OK, you tell me, how did you come to your position? So now you get to share, you know, how you came to your position. And e even if we don't end up not agreeing, because the purpose is not to make, win an argument, because if you win an argument, the other person lost. Yeah. You no need to make a loser. Uh, but if we listen empathetically and try to understand each other and we can say, you know, I can see how you would feel that way. Uh, and then they've, they've heard you and you both go away now and kind of think about your position. And, and why, why do you feel strongly the way you feel? Uh, so it's okay to disagree. Humans are always going to disagree. But you're right. Today, we're, it's not just disagreement. It's, it's like a verbal warfare. Yeah. We're, we're just trying to put people down, you know. And, and it goes more than just verbally. We try to, you know, help get them lose their jobs or all kind of stuff. It, it, it's, it's, it's destructive, very destructive. Definitely. I love, I love the idea of asking questions just because I know in my own experience, well, number one, it's hard because it's, it, you almost have to kind of humble yourself a little bit, but it's so, it's so good because there's been many times when I thought like, I know my side of this, it's right. I, there, no one's going to shake me off of it. I don't see how they, you know, I hear people say all the time, I've said it. I don't know how they could believe that. How could they believe that? How could they think that? And then when you do ask those questions, you're like, oh, I actually do. I see how you got to that point. Might not agree. But it, it helps yeah. us to be a lot more balanced, I think. And culture feels very yeah. unbalanced at the moment. Yeah, you, you're, you're exactly right. You know, there was a day in which we tried to cooperate with people that we disagree on and cooperate on the things we do agree on to do something positive. But today we've kind of lost the vision, it seems like. We just want to shoot each other. Yeah. I don't know. 
I think I think technology has helped that because it's easier to say things online that you wouldn't say face to face. So in that sense, uh, you know, I think technology has made it worse. I agree. I totally agree. Yes. So kind of on that end, um, you, you touched on it briefly a minute ago um, when you were talking about apologizing. But I think for I know for me in, in our little community and as I dance in the online world and then also try to keep myself grounded in the real world of community, you know, the biggest difference is like we were talking about when you're online, if I don't agree with someone, I can just block them or unfriend them or kind of silo myself up with people who are just like me. And that's something we all do as humans. I think we're, we're prone to kind of group up into tribes. But I think one of the best exercises, at least for me and probably everybody, when I'm in real life community, especially in a small town, is um, if I get, disagree with someone or we have a riff, they are not going anywhere and I'm not going anywhere. And there's not a lot of population to dilute us. And so I'm kind of like, oh, guess what? We get to figure this out. Otherwise, we're both going to be miserable because I'm going to see them like all the time. So in that situation, which I think is healthy, but sometimes foreign in our screen-based culture, how, what are some of those strategies to help us resolve that? I know you, I said, you said apologize and then we can tap into their love, love languages. Um, do you have anything else that would, might be helpful? I think if at all possible, it should be a face-to-face conversation. Never try to solve conflicts online because they can't see your facial expressions. They can't hear the, the tone of your voice. Uh, well, they, they can if you're talking, of course. But uh, it, it's always better to, to, to just say, hey, John, can we meet, can we meet for lunch today and, and, and talk about uh, the this, this struggle we're, we're kind of having here? Because I, I, want to, I, want to understand, I want to understand you. Uh, if you have a face-to-face thing, then you you pick up the emotions, you pick up you know a whole lot more that will help you uh, actually solve the problem. Being on the phone would be the next best because at least they can hear your tone of voice, even though they can't see your face. But but face-to-face is always better. And in a small community, uh, you can do that, you know, because you're going to run into each other anyway here or there. Uh, but just saying, like, like, can we meet and just and just talk? Because I, I really want to, I really want to understand you, and I think we kind of maybe got our wires crossed. I don't want to have our wires crossed, and most people will respond to that. You know, some of them will say, oh, I don't want to talk about it. Well, okay, but whenever you, whenever you get to where you do want to talk about it, I, I'd like to meet you for lunch or meet you for coffee or something. To me, that's that's the best way to do it. Yeah, I agree. Face to face is definitely harder, but you can just feel that energy, and that makes a huge difference. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So I think all of these things are challenging, but very worthwhile. Um, what, in your view, is some of the biggest payoff for not only just developing these sort of relationships? I'm just trying to think of the, the person who's a little, maybe a little shy, a little introverted, and they're thinking, is it worth it? Is it worth it to get off Facebook and go out and try to risk, you know, maybe someone not liking me or, or r- risking rejection or risking not finding my people right away? What's, what's the payoff in creating that community and continuing to push for these improved relationships? I think all of us will find the deepest satisfaction in life by choosing an attitude of love. And by that, I mean, I'm here to enrich the lives of other people. It's the opposite of being selfish. And let's face it, by nature, all of us tend to be selfish. But a person that's so self-centered that they approach everything in life with what am I going to get out of this? How is this going to affect me? They end up being very frustrated in life and don't find a whole lot of satisfaction. But couples who take the attitude 
I want to enrich the lives of everybody that I encounter in some way. I just like to help anybody I can. You take that and we choose our attitude. We don't choose our emotions, but we choose our attitude. We take that attitude and just keep our eyes open. There's opportunities all the time, all around us, that we can express love to people. And uh, if we take that attitude, there will be doors open. And and this book we're talking about that, that you mentioned earlier that I just released is a collection of stories, 28 stories of people who express love in all kinds of situations. Uh, and they just took an opportunity just to, and, an, and the attitude, I'm going to have an attitude of love. Even in a troubled marriage, for example, there's stories in there how when the spouse was just unbelievably awful, you can still take the attitude, I'm going to love them. I don't care how awful they are, you know, and you move out to begin to do that. And they won't always turn around, but you can look yourself in the mirror and know you did the best thing you could do. And they're probably going to walk away and think, hmm, that's different. They always told me what was wrong with me. Now they're giving me words of affirmation. I don't know what's going yeah. on here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I just think it's a matter of realizing I have a choice in every single situation in life. I have a choice. I can be a part of the problem or I can be a part of the solution. And love is always a move toward a right solution. I love that. And I'm seeing this a lot in our in our homestead community and it's kind of a funny a funny thing because a lot of us came to this world of we call, we call it self-sufficiency all the time. Like I'm self-sufficient. I want to be a self-sufficient. That's kind of one of the terms that we use. And I know for me that's what I spouted off for years and as I got farther on the path I'm like that means it feels kind of lonely. It's kind of like I'm out here just making sure I have enough food and I'm prepared and I have enough milk and I have enough vegetables and um I know for us there was that point where it was like how can I broaden my horizons and how can we start giving back a little bit? And I see a lot of folks following in that progression. Um, and it's it's so much better. Like it's so much more meaningful to have the vegetables to share with others or to be building outside of just our little island of homesteading or farming or whatever. Yeah. So I, I think that's so, yeah, yeah so true. You know, Albert Schweitzer was a medical doctor who spent the bulk of his life in what was then French Equatorial Africa. And toward the end of his life, he won the Nobel Prize. And in his speech, he said, among other things, he said this, I'm convinced that those of you who will find the greatest satisfaction in life will be those of you who seek and find how to serve others. And I think he was right. Yes. You know, it's much more satisfaction in thinking, how can I take what I, what I have and impact the lives of other people for, for good? Yeah, so much more meaningful that way. I couldn't agree more. So I know you have a hard stop and I want to be respectful of your very busy schedule. But before you go, could you just remind everyone where to find you? I know you mentioned your website, fivelovelanguages.com. Um, is that the best place for people to yeah. connect with you and your work? Yeah, that's the best place. They can see most of my books are on there and they get a little blurb on those. They can sign up and get a weekly email if they like. Uh, there's all kinds of things they can sign up for there. Uh, and information on where I'll be speaking in other places around the country. Some some of those at least are on that website. Okay, awesome. And yeah. remind me one more time what the name of your newest book is called. You have a lot of books. I was trying, I was Googling your books because I was trying to find the latest. I'm like, oh my goodness, you've published so much. It's amazing. So what's the latest one called one more time? This one is called Love is a Choice. Okay. And then it has, it's just a collection of stories, real stories that, that people told me, they're, they're speaking for themselves of how, Choosing an attitude of love changed a lot of 
situations and move them in a positive direction. So I think folks will enjoy enjoy reading it, Mary or Cynthia. Yes, I think yes. Hearing those real world application pieces is always extra inspiring. So. Wonderful. Well, Dr. Chapman, it has been an honor. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your time with us. And I hope this inspires everyone listening to go out and maybe get a little uncomfortable and mend some bridges and build some community uh, and know that it's a very good thing. So thanks so much for coming on. Uh, You're welcome. I'm glad to chat with you and you keep up the good work of doing exactly what you said. So (laughs) if, if we have more and more people who choose that attitude, we can make a difference in the broader perspective of the world.